Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there, publicize, share it with your friends, wherever you found it, whether it was Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. We are wherever you find high-quality podcast content. I also like to remind you that our podcast host, Podient, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of a premium membership and 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. All you got to do is sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. That's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O. Sign up using the offer code LONGHORN to get 25% off your first three months of a premium membership. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man with an MLB career as long as Kyler Murray's, Kyle Tathan Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Uh, you got a double shot in there, uh, both at Mr. Tathan, uh, he rear end my dude, as well as Kyler, I come up to uh, the height of folks rear end my dude, uh, Murray. So those are those are two quarterbacks uh, who went on to fantastic careers, obviously, in the, the greater uh, college station area. Um, but uh, but no, this uh, I'm doing all right, man. I'm, I'm on the good drugs right now. Had a uh, had a, a minor surgery over or last week, I guess, recovered over the weekend. So I am uh, I am hopefully not sounding too too crazy and hopefully future podcasts I will be humming with the uh, with with my sinuses corrected so i am uh i'm appropriately medicated and adequately uh agitated wow that's uh i love the alliteration there uh you may hear some weird things from kyle and my voices today kyle's obviously a couple days out of sinus surgery i have this weird head cold thing that's going on because it's like 30 degrees in the state of oklahoma which that's just garbage. So, uh, we'll, but we'll we'll muscle through it. We're gonna open up talking about that weird abomination of a game that was Texas and Kansas. We'll do a little bit of women's basketball, and then obviously we will have some football talk with the big declarations this week, and then we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So, Kyle, 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 Texas plays an incredible first half of basketball against Kansas. They're up two. Breakaway dunk to close the half. Jace Fabrest goes back iron. Looks like my son trying to dunk on his Fisher-Price basketball set. The ball goes flying. Texas goes into the half. Kansas comes roaring back in the beginning of the second half. Texas manages to weather the storm, tie it up, close it to within Two points. Yep. Misses a go-ahead three. Take a rushed tying two. And Texas falls to the Big 12 leading Kansas Jayhawks. 80-78 to 78 to drop their third straight Big 12 contest. Falling to 10-7 and seven on the season. A disappointing 2-3 and three after starting the Big 12 conference play 2-0. and oh. So, Kyle, like what... What happened? Like, I don't even know where to start with this game. Like, it's such a weird, weird thing that that, that we just had to watch. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, let me just take one kind of thread here, high level, and, and pull it out a little bit into the past couple games. So, so what we've said all season is Texas hasn't... It's not a scheme issue. It's not getting the open looks 
issue. Uh, it's typically been an execution issue when they shoot well, they win. Um, unfortunately, they had two pretty good shooting games in the past week or so um, and, and lost both of those games, both to Texas Tech uh, in a in a close loss um, a few few days ago, and then now to to Texas. Uh, or excuse me, to Kansas. Um, now uh, to Kansas by two points, again, when shooting uh, just a hair under 40% from three. So it kind of throws the the adage we've been using on this team a little bit out the books that if they could just knock their threes down, they'll win. Um, I, that's got to be a little tough for, for Shock. And again, let's not act like Kansas and Texas Tech aren't two of the probably 10 best teams in the, in the country. Um, Duke lost tonight right before this game. The number one team went down, so this can happen. Uh, these are very good teams. The fact that Texas is hanging at, you know, Fog Allen Fieldhouse by two points, a game they, they really could have and at times look like should have won, it says something good about this team. It says that Texas can do it. If they play like they play in the first half all season, they're probably a top 10 team. Like, that that was a top 10 team in the first half they did that against michigan state for a half they did that against north carolina the frustrating thing is they they can't seem to execute all the time and i know it's college i know no team really can do that um but in the shaka era i don't know when that comes he's he's such a good coach and a smart coach and he has such a, a vision for how things should be done but like at what point does that start to crystallize for two halves in a row or even I don't know eight halves in a row multiple consecutive games where you execute uh and win these games that you know could have been a big signature uh kind of win for the program and and for the team this season especially when as the cards lay right now the tournament is not necessarily a given yeah and I think it's it doesn't seem like Texas is able to tie it all together, like you said, where if they're shooting well from three, then they're not shooting well from the floor. Or if they're doing well on the offensive glass, they're really not capitalizing on the second chance points. Where like they out-rebounded Kansas by what six rebounds in the or eight rebounds in the first half a seven to two advantage on the offensive glass and they only went into the locker room with a two-point advantage like that is a team like if that's any other team they're they're up by six eight points so like it's just hard for me to fathom like they're able to do all of the things but they're never able to tie the things together to put together a cohesive game of basketball. I think the only time we've seen that was the upset win over North Carolina. Like I can't think of another game where Texas was able to put together all of the things to, to win a game. And again, if they play like they did in the first half, I mean, they were able to build a two point lead and they didn't go to the free throw line once in the first half. Yeah. Yeah, that that's wild. Even even by standards of officiating at home for Kansas, that's a wild statistic. For sure. And and I mean, there were guys that had good games. I mean, yeah, Matt Coleman has one of his yep. best games of the season. Yep. Great game. Uh Snoop Roach did what Snoop Roach does. Uh Ramey and Febres coming off the bench. You know, Febres did miss the shot at the end of the half and then the shot at the end of the second half. Uh so those are the two that are gonna stick out in your mind, but Overall, he had a decent game. He yeah. hit four three-pointers, which is a big, big number for him. And, you know, I think a lot of it, like Dylan O, 
put up an 11-9 game, but he looked inconsistent defensively for throughout most of it, and that was honestly disappointing. Yeah, for, just real quick on, on Dillano, I have to say it. I have to give credit where credit is due because I, it was the hardest laugh I had all night. Uh, the Barking Carnival basketball writer uh, at Bitter White Guy uh, said said uh, Dylan O uh, has missed more more bunnies than Elmer Fudd tonight, and I, I that slayed me. Uh, the guy was 5 for 13 shooting, and he must have been like 1 for 6 from inside the paint. I couldn't understand how he could get fantastic positions and rebounds and just miss layups. So, sorry, I just that I had to give credit because that was the best thing I saw all night. Yeah, I think I texted you. How on God's green earth did Dylan O miss that putback? Like he had yeah. the easiest wide open putback like layup and just absolutely Multiple. beefed it. And it was pretty yeah. pretty frustrating. I mean, Jackson Hayes only played 17 minutes, fouled out um, on on several. I'm going to go ahead and say it, several questionable calls sure. on him. Yeah. Now, by the letter of the law, they probably were. Um, were fouls, but if you are going to call that on one end of the court, you should probably call that on the other end of the court uh, just by the the standards of calling an even game, but that's neither here nor there. So Texas going into the game was about a 40% chance to make the NCAA tournament according to Bracketology. Now with this result, they continue the slide. Now, it's crazy to think that if Texas won this game, they'd be in second place in the conference. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> losing this game puts them in the bottom three teams. Uh, so anything can happen any day in the big 12, but spinning it forward, Texas has a less than half shot. So what does this say for the future of this team and potentially the future of Shaka smart on the 40 acres? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, the narrative is such an interesting thing. Uh, the Oklahoma State game, they lost by three. And again, that was just poor shooting. They win that game. We feel a little bit better because they open up the conference and beat all the teams they should and then lose to the two best teams by a combined, you know, eight points. Um, you feel a little bit better about that narrative and it can still change. Uh, they could go and beat Oklahoma at home uh, later this week and then beat TCU in the in the uh, you know Battle of the Del Conte in the in the gym arena that he built uh, there in Fort Worth um, and, and then take the kind of SEC Big 12 challenge where they get Georgia which is a, you know a team that Texas uh, has shown at least in other sports that they uh, dominate so um, if you know if they can get a little run there before they have to take Kansas on again at home at the end of January you know all of a sudden the narrative looks a little bit different and I think Big 12 is going to beat itself up enough where you know the top teams are going to lose the bottom teams in the big 12 it's it's that league where it's wide open it's it's you know it's call of duty back in the in the halcyon days where you know even the guy with the uh the 38 to to one kdr you can catch him running around a corner and, and take him down you know that is the big 12 um you have your campers you have your snipers you have your i'm not going to really extend this analogy any further but anyone can <laughs> anyone can beat anyone. Um, and, and so I, I, I think, you know, Texas's story isn't written, but hey guys, it's, it's a little bit late to, to, you know, find a new identity and to, and to start it over. Um, they're going to really have to buckle down. And, and I mean, they're really going to have to win like 70% uh, of their big 12 games uh, kind of going forward against, you know, some tough teams. They, like I said, have to play Iowa state a couple times, Texas tech again, Kansas again, you know, they, 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 They've played a relatively not, you know, an even, I would say, Big 12 entrance so far and haven't dominated. So they need to, something needs to click and they need to really change the course if they want to guarantee uh, that they're dancing at the end of the season. Yeah, I think if Texas can manage to pick up 
maybe two big wins. I think that may be enough to get them in. Maybe they squeak one out against Kansas at home, and then they you know do something spectacular against either Tech or uh, or Iowa State. I think a Tech win on the road probably puts them in pretty handily because um, that's just a big game against a really incredible team. Yeah. So I think that is a there is like you said the narrative here can go in a thousand different directions at this point and i think it's really going to be interesting to see how it shakes out uh down the stretch so moving on to the women the women are in probably the exact opposite position of the men's basketball team the ladies since we last talked have rattled off four straight big 12 wins including back-to-back wins over the oklahoma sooners and number 11, Iowa State. So uh, against Iowa State, the ladies were tied 28 at halftime, and then Texas led by seven heading into the fourth. They gave up that lead. And then the the the, the woman of the weekend, probably Joyner Holmes, who had an incredible game against OU, 10 points, 14 assists, um, blocks a game-tying layup with five seconds left to secure the win against Iowa State. So the women are trending in the right direction. They haven't faced Baylor yet. They have Kansas State next up on the schedule. But this team looks like a team that's honestly going to coast through most of conference play. Yeah, I mean, they, they opened Big 12 4-0. They, they got, t- uh, you know, a, a really tough Iowa State team, took its best shot, and, and were able to come out on top. That's big. You know, uh, I, I think they got past an Oklahoma State team. That's that's really good. That's big. Uh, you're you're right that the, the schedule is kind of favorable for them to rest up, get healthy, get everything humming, kind of in the right cylinders before they have uh, they have Baylor coming up the the first week of February. And so uh, I I do think I, I don't know if I'd use the word coast, but you may not be wrong. I, I do think that they have a chance to they're they're sitting at like number eleven ten right now. They have a chance to just go on a big nice long win streak and get that number to a nice single digit um before they before they roll into uh roll into or Waco I guess rolls Baylor rolls into Austin to take on uh to take on the horns not that any game should be overlooked but that's a big one uh February 4th so everyone should uh, should make it out to support the horns on that one but uh they're they're trending in the right direction they're they're getting the freshmen involved the um you know getting getting the the veterans uh playing at their top of their game i think it, it's it's coming together pretty well for this team yeah i think like you like we said last week like we're going to say all you know, all year for the ladies, I think in conference play, Baylor is the is the one that you really have to look out for. Now, again, um, not as much on the as on the men's side, but on the women's side, you could get beaten. A team can jump up and beat you in in, in a lot of kind of scary ways. So, cannot take any days off. It's fun here. Texas sports were competitive across all fronts. So now it's on the fans. Uh, just one quick thing. The uh, the men's basketball attendance against Texas Tech, multiple people described it as feeling like a Tech home game. We got to be better, um, whether the team is, you know, number one in the nation or, you know, could use a little boost from the home home crowd fans. Uh, we have to get out there and support the Horns. Uh, we being students, being alumni, being anyone who can get to the, any of these games, you know, uh, cheer them on. These kids play uh, best at home because they have you cheering them on so um you know just a, a quick call to action for the fans uh make sure you you support the horns uh, as best as you can so we've got a little bit of news for you we've got the answers that we were hoping to get last week little jordan humphrey made the decision that he will be going pro foregoing his senior year 
while safety Brandon Jones decided he wants to give it another shot, come back for one last ride. So we'll start with little Jordan Humphrey, uh, the one that is leaving us. So what do you, like as a, as a fan, as a journalist or whatever the heck we are, like how do you, like what do you think went into the decision and do you think he made the right move? Well, I mean, I think it's hard to ever fault a kid. We've said on this podcast many times, we're always going to say, go get your money, son. Take care of yourself. It's a business. Um, you know, it, go back to the analogy of if you're a you're a junior in college and, and some company offers you a $3 million contract to forego your senior year knowing that you could go back. We'll, we'll, we'll let you go back in the summers and finish your degree. You probably take that offer. You know, it's for any other... Any other student in school, it's a great deal to get. Um, and in the same way, you know, he, he has a potential to to do really well at the next level. Um, I think, you know, obviously he heard something in his grade that sounded good to him. Uh, he looks at the class. Uh, maybe the most dangerous threat to his draft stock uh, was Colin Johnson coming back. Maybe him saying that, you know, gave uh, Lil Jordan enough confidence that, you know, he's going to be moving into that, you know, maybe top five six receivers drafted um when 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 the draft rolls around and and, you know given that it's hard to to fault the kid uh i think he he'll leave a great legacy as one of um texas's you know all-time receivers in that conversation probably top 10 uh top 15 receivers uh of all time even though you know one more year might have really cemented that but you know have to really appreciate all he did while while he was here on the 40 acres so one, I think you and I are in agreement that it never fault a kid for going pro. Like the the shelf life of a professional athlete, especially in the most violent of the professional sports, NFL football or collegiate football, your shelf life is super short and you're one bad hit away from losing out on millions of dollars. So why come back and play for free when you can actually get paid, right? Uh, and so I think for me, the, the other big part of that decision is the questions about Lil Jordan are not going to change with another year in school. I mean, the, the knock is he's kind of a tweener. He's not really a tight end. He's not really a true wide receiver. And that's not going to change with another year in school. And so by all means, like go get paid. If, if you're not going to be able to answer questions by coming back, like I think Colin Johnson can answer some questions. Like, can he be a possession receiver that does not need to make contested pa- uh, catches? Like that's a question he can answer with another year. Brandon Jones, we'll talk about in a second. Can he go a full 14 games without getting injured? That's a question he can answer with another year. So it makes sense for those guys to come back. Whereas Lil Jordan, like, I don't know what else he has to prove at the collegiate level other than that. He wanted to come back for another year. So we'll, we'll flip sides and we'll go uh, and we'll look at like, what now does Texas do at receiver? Cause I think if there's one position they could stand to lose a guy, it is at receiver. So what does Texas look to, to fill that spot uh, kind of inside at that receiver spot? I think from an immediate, like immediate replacement, obviously you're replacing a guy who's, in the slot who can who can be kind of a third down target who can be your reliable I have to get a catch uh I know where where to put my eyes kind of guy and in in that terms of production I think you know you have a chance for your two returning big big names and DuVernay and Johnson to step up and, and maybe be a little more dependable but for the actual slot receiver role and and I think kind of the biggest piece is the thing that he brought that I didn't necessarily 
expect and don't necessarily expect one person to replace was turning a a five yard pass into a forty yard touchdown. The after the catch, the you know breaking tackles, the being so strong when they put a corner on him, so fast when they put a linebacker on him. Um, but you know, I think you, you just look down and you look at you know Eagles, Moore, Jamison. You, you look at the new guys in, in Whittington and Smith. You look at the talent of a guy like Epps. Um, it will be very interesting what role if they go for a plug and play. Um, I like, you know, what a guy like Epps can do in bringing the mismatch right back. But, you know, it's it's really hard not to think, well, you know, that's a slot position, even though that's what Lil Jordan, you know, was. There's so many things that you can do with a slot receiver who's a little smaller, you know, that quick mold. Um, you, you, you look at a guy... Um, you know, like Rondell Moore, who, who you know, at Purdue from that slot position just, you know, could get 300 yards a game, uh, not being a giant, you know, mismatch due to size. Like, Texas has some of that level of talent. We talked about it last week. Uh, there are any number of guys, but I almost would be excited to see what one of the young kids, Whittington or Smith, uh, could, could do in the spring uh, game, getting in there and getting some of those reps. I think I think Texas ends up going situational. Like LJ was your every down guy. Yeah. And I think Texas ends up going situational here. I think if it's a it's a third and four and we need a big body over the middle, I would be not surprised in the slightest bit if you saw Malcolm Epps in there. If it's, you know, second and long, third and third and long or those mediums, um, you see probably one of your faster guys underneath there, not saying that Malcolm Epps is not fast. He's just a big body guy, so you may see more. I'm I'm of the belief that you find any sort of excuse to get Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington on the field. Yeah. Uh, whatever it may be, you run it you run four linemen and six wide receivers if you have to. Like, get them all on the field. That's not legal, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, but just find a way to get those guys on the field. So I, I imagine it's going to be more of a rotation than it was this year. And this is probably going to be a controversial opinion, but I think whoever plays in that slot, regardless of who they are, and I think a little Jordan Humphrey benefited from this a lot, is people are going to roll coverage to Colin Johnson. Yep. They're going to roll the safety over to Colin Johnson, and there's going to be a one-on-one, whether it's Duvernay or whether it's whoever is in the slot, and you're going to see big numbers from whoever that person is. I hope to to whoever you hope to that it's Duvernay, because I think Duvernay can run past 99% of the guys on the field, um, but... If it's Epps, he's bigger than most of the guys that are going to be on him. If it's Whittington or Smith, they're going to make one guy miss, and it's off to the races. So I think whoever benefits from the the coverage rolling to Colin is going to have a good, a good year. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, if, if people just see a freshman on the depth chart and think, hey, you know, we, we saw defenses – pick their poison which is what we said at the beginning of the year you'd have to do sometimes they would kind of bracket LJH and, and one-on-one Colin Johnson to their own detriment and sometimes they would they would do the opposite you know if people say all right it's it's we'll stop Colin and make the other guys beat us then they're going to learn uh probably the names Jake Smith and, and, and Jordan Whittington really really quickly because I think getting the ball in either of those guys hands even though they're going to be 18 next year they have the potential to you know just absolutely carve up some defenses from from day one. So we'll move to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Brandon Jones, the oft-injured safety, decided that he would come back for his senior year, giving it one last ride, thinks Texas has a shot to make a run at a playoff. So Brandon Jones coming back is huge for the Texas defense. Texas, without Brandon Jones leaving, is still losing 223 cumulative starts yeah. along that defense. Eight 
seniors graduating from key positions. So what does bringing a player like Brandon Jones back truly mean to a defense that's going to have to rebuild if it's going to have any shot at competing? Again, hot take here. Uh, if, if you had to tell me I had to pick one of the two guys to come back, I almost would have picked Brandon Jones. And that's not because I don't think, again, that Lil Jordan Humphrey is an incredible player and a guy who is one of my favorite players at UT in a long, long time. Um, but because of what, like, exactly what you said, what you're replacing on the defense, the ability um, from, you know, DBU, that's that's what Texas is and has always been. The ability to have that kind of leadership um, to allow him to play a specific role. Uh, Caden Stern's best games came when Brandon Jones did the opposite role and he could do what he did best. So, you know, year two Caden Stern's with, again, Jones, who has something to prove because clearly he, he looked at the draft and thought, you know what? I can go a little bit higher. I can, I can show a couple more things. So, you know, a guy who's going to kind of be a, a leader, a quarterback from back there. Um, and just kind of the, the senior voice, um, in that, especially in that backfield, but mainly on that defense, uh, is going to be very exciting with what we talked about. Probably right now, no exaggeration, the best three safety rotation in the country with Stearns, Foster, uh, and Jones. Yeah. And I think one, People, I think, don't understand how important the safeties are in this defensive scheme. Over the last four seasons in Todd Orlando's scheme, the safety has been one of the top three tacklers. So 2015 at Houston, uh, Adrian McDonald uh, was number three on the team with 91 tackles, second to the two starting linebackers. 2016, same deal. Khalil Williams was number three by just six tackles. So he was in the top two. A year ago... Deshaun was number two and Gary Johnson was number four. Brandon Jones himself was the third on the team in tackles. And that is a, that's almost an aberration in this because Malik was so far ahead of everybody. He had like basically 40 more tackles than anybody else on the team. He was top, I think top 10 in the country. Um, And then this year, this is what's crazy. So Brandon Jones missed four games, still finished with 70 tackles, which is number four on the team. When he went out, He was the second leading tackler on the team. And if he hits his per game average in those four four games that he missed, he's the team's leading tackler by six. He played a huge role this year. Yeah, that's enormous. Yeah, it's it's huge. And so getting him back allows that defense to have an anchor at the back end. And it allows, like you said, Caden Stearns to do what he's good at. It allows BJ Foster to be a situational nickelback where he can come in and blitz, which is what he's really, really good at. If you paid attention in the Sugar Bowl, he was just trying to lop old boy's head off. <laughs> uh, that's what he's going to do best in this defense as a sophomore. Um, and in a in a defensive scheme that's going to have to replace both corners, both linebackers, and all three down linemen, Like, it's huge to get a guy like that back who can anchor, who can be mature, who can kind of be your field general. Um, And he put out the second best video movie about himself that I've ever seen, (laughs) second only to the A&M commitment video. Uh, Yeah, you know, that that, the the nice thing about this, uh, this kind of being the social media du jour was getting to relive that. And just, you know, there's a few soft sore spots that that collective A&M Twitter and and collective group think of A&M just can't come up with a defense for um you know if they, they don't lose they run out of time they uh you know they they won uh they had the heisman trophy winner because kyler murray was at one point an aggie you know they, they they will find a way to make everything somehow good for a&m but but the utterly ridiculous brandon jones um 
recruitment video that they put out is still and, and if you haven't seen this please please google it um still one of my favorite moments he was a legend from before he stepped on campus and this just brought it full circle i hope he truly puts a thorpe worthy season together this year just to you know get the final bits of of salt bay and just just you know drape him into that open wound um I, it's beautiful i love this guy it's the same way you know keandre coburn you could do some things off the field and win me over before you ever make plays but if you can then go back it up on saturdays and make the plays you have a chance to go down as the commercials will tell you as a longhorn legend I love it. So briefly about the coaching staff. So Tom Herman announced to his coaching staff on Thursday that he would be retaining every member of the staff. There would be no changes this year. There was talk at some point where there would be a bit of a shakeup to try to bring on David Beatty. That is not happening, which is good or bad. We'll talk about that here in just a second. So Kyle, We'll start with the positives, like what kind of uh, benefit does a team that's looking to reload, especially primarily on one half of the ball, how big is it to have this level of continuity now for three years where it's basically been the same coaching staff with one addition? Yeah, I mean, the, the, some of the crazy stats of like uh, there was players who had, you know, five offensive coordinators in their tenure um, at UT and, and, and some of those stats during kind of the what I'll call the darker years, the the, the years of tumult, um, you know, it's it's that's tough like continuity goes so far like there's there's a reason when you have a bedrock that you can do pretty awesome things just by adding one piece on top of it Um, but keeping that consistent layer like you know I'm a fan of covered for a long time the San Antonio Spurs there's a reason that Greg Popovich was always so good he he said his greatest weapon was uh institutional or corporate knowledge um that that not having to bring everyone up to speed and get everyone that Tom Herman calls it alignment you know it's the same type of philosophy in a coaching staff having shared knowledge um in the people around you is is huge um it's it's you know some of the guys on the staff it's crazy to think how far we've come on like a tim beck who you know if the internet were to be believed he was one in completion at any given time over the off season away from just being fired and pulled right off you know that is you know quieted down uh may ringer a guy who you know for whatever reason kind of the a uh, lot of folks I understand Beatty and, and the recruiting job he can do. And just, you know, I think he's a great coach. Um, but, you know, you, you had one of your best receivers seasons in, in school history, you know, and, and you had two guys who potentially, you know, could have, could have left early to go get drafted and one of them coming back and just, you know, an unbelievable recruiting class at that position. Um, so, you know, I don't understand necessarily why you have to make that upgrade. If Herman thinks it's, it's, you know, he's doing a good enough job coaching up what they have and bring it in the, the next round, then, then I think we're good there. Um, obviously you had standouts like Orlando and, and Herb Hand, and I, I have to take a second to shout out, you know, Jason Washington, Craig Nivar, just some coaches that, you know, don't always get the shine um right off the top but but coaches if you if you watch their units and you and you talk to people around the program that you know are really really kicking butt um i think herman has a a room full of winners and probably a room full of a few future head coaches um there's no reason to shake that up in my opinion unless there's something so good out there it doesn't mean also and let me just say this, that there isn't a role for a guy like a David Beatty. If, if Nick Saban taught us anything, is that there's always ways to get around rules and the rules say you can only have so many coaches. David Beatty would be a great, you know, uh, consultant, be a great uh, video breakdown, recruiting, you know, whatever. However you want to uh, Sabanize around the rules to, to get smart people on your staff. You don't just get, you know, 15 of those. You can have... Uh, you know, to the nth degree, if, if they're willing to willing to, to kind of put that work in. 
my my struggle with the Beatty stuff was because he's going to be a head coach in a year or two. Yeah. So why shake up your coaching staff for a one year rental? Like right. That, that was always my hesitation. Now, obviously, um, if you think you can get him for longer than a couple of years, then by all means make that move. But it clearly shows that I, I think everybody conventional wisdom is David Beatty lands somewhere as a as a head coach within the next twelve to eighteen months. So I think it's it's smart not to do that, especially guys who are starting to build those relationships locally that are starting to really establish themselves as a recruiting presence. I I don't agree with shaking up your staff for a one-year rental to try to pick up a guy from DFW. Like, that's just not, that's not smart. It's not a smart move. It's not a smart leadership move. It's not a smart anything. So uh, I, I'm a fan of just keeping the continuity, keeping the coaching staff together and not, again, this is going to be, I think, the first time probably since, what, 2010 yeah. that a group of coaches has been together for three years on, on the Burn Orange campus. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, and and, and what, like I said, when the when the change happens, the fact that it's happening because guys are being you know taken to the next level to be head coaches. That's that used to be when Texas was kind of the the Joneses. This was a, a, a spot that every coach wanted to coach at because they paid well. You got to coach some of the best kids in the country, and because if you were a you know positions coach here, you would be a coordinator at a big school. If you were a coordinator here, you would be at the short list of every head coaching job. It was the spot for some of the best talent, and it nurtured some of the best talent uh, in the Mac Brown era and, and otherwise. So you know it's it's good to see that that when people are leaving, it's for a bigger job and not because you know they aren't performing. So last little bit of news, baseball had a massive hit to its uh, its lineup. A, sh- a shortstop, David Hamilton, is going to miss the entirety of the 2019 season with a ruptured Achilles. Uh, with that, Texas comes in in the D1 baseball rankings at number 23. There was talk that Texas would have been higher had that injury news come in later. So, Kyle, what is the what does that injury to Hamilton really do to a Texas team that was hoping to build off of a college World Series run from a year ago. Ah uh, man, Hamilton was was one of my favorite guys on this team last year. Uh he seemed like a heart and soul kind of guy. Um you know, he he had if you remember that kind of walk off uh grand slam uh towards the end of the season against Texas State, which was so awesome. He was, you know, lightning fast. He had over 30 stolen bases led the team there. Um he also had no errors from the shortstop position, which was just fantastic for a team that literally used defense to to win close games uh in their run last year so it, it's gonna be a big blow um but I, I think you know coach Pierce is is a fantastic coach he's you know the reigning coach of the year and there's enough talent that Texas can have a little bit of a next man up mentality um you know I think you'll probably see uh um Hibbler slide over to shortstop Reynolds play third um along with Zuby at first and second base we'll, we'll see who's going to kind of get that spot but uh you know there's there's a lot of names there's a lot of talent there's a lot of returning at bats I mean they lost Clemens obviously huge huge change right there to lose that but otherwise they uh they were returning you know I think almost 1700 at bats from last year obviously you take Hamilton out of that equation now but still they're returning a lot so it, it is a team that is is deep enough not that you can ever replace a guy like that that's you know going to be one of your best players and, and truly one of the most fun players to watch but uh you know I think I think they of all teams and in all years to do it are positioned and I, I wish him a a full and healthy and speedy recovery. 
I think it's a, a, a big leadership blow. That's a guy who's one of your one of your cornerstones. It's a guy who's one of your you, you call them the look to guys, right? When when things are kind of shaking, when thing the plates are kind of spinning, who do you look to to see and take your cues from? And I think that's the thing that they miss uh, with Hamilton being out. Now, granted, he'll still be a part of the team, right? But he's one of your junior leaders. Like he's he's the He's the guy who you who you think you can you can pull out that uh, the magic in the ninth inning. I almost said fourth quarter because I'm still in baseball or football basketball <laughs> mode. But he's like he's like that ninth inning guy where when you need something to happen, you look to David and you see what happens. So uh, that's yeah. a huge blow to Texas. And with those D1 baseball rankings coming out today, the the expectations for this season are are high, and we're gonna find out pretty early on if those expectations are fair, because in the month of March, Texas has to take on number two, LSU number 12, Stanford in a four game series. And then in conference play, they open up with number three, Texas tech. They take a quick break from conference to play number 16, Arkansas in a pair of two games, and then close out the month of March with number 19 TCU. So in the span of four weeks, they play series against five teams ranked in the top 25, including two in the top five. So, uh, with all that out on the table, is the expectation to compete for a conference championship and to make a deep run in the College World Series still a fair expectation for this group? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think absolutely. I think this this team was a year ahead of schedule with the run they had last year, a real Cinderella run. Um, one of the reasons that they were so successful in the tournament and at the end of the season and had that composure when other teams kind of maybe faltered was that they played one of the toughest schedules in the country, especially opening up last year. They started off similarly playing most of these teams uh, last year and and you kind of saw that pay off um and they were you know again an even younger team last year but they you know the losing a guy like Hamilton obviously changes those expectations a little bit but they also got back they never really had a, a proper closer last year they get back Donnie Diaz who was supposed to be the, the closer and had a Tommy John surgery so it is the cycle of life in every sport but you know especially in baseball they're they're replacing um one you know all-conference player with potentially uh, another who couldn't do it last year. So it's a shame to not get all that all that talent in the same time on the same schedule. But uh, I think again, Texas is in a good place for a a you know top fifteen uh, top you know if they can get everything going top ten finish this year. It's going to be interesting to see. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I was watching some uh, watching some basketball. Like I said, I'm, I'm a Spurs guy, and and there was uh, there was a a fun game uh, a couple days ago, I think three days ago, um, where where local Longhorn and Spur done good. LaMarcus Aldridge went off for a career high. He was so excited to join the 50-point club. He had 56 points in an overtime win over the uh, really hot Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, the Spurs have been streaking kind of just the right time. But watching LaMarcus do it um, is, is fun. And, the, and there's two things about uh, – or there's two things I want to talk about with Texas basketball here and, and, and use two bigs to tell that story. So you have two guys who kind of don't fit the mold of – what a modern NBA big is. And when I say that, you know, I, I, I'm talking of your your Nurkic's and your, you know, your guys who can kind of play stretch inside out, you know, 
they're fives in a in a sense that they're the tallest guy on the court. Um, but you have Lamarcus, who's you know he's truly a power forward, but has played some five for the Spurs. And then you have a guy like Jared Allen. So Jared Allen is a throwback big. He's a center who kind of you know, just looks like they did in, in, in the nineties. And they're, they're both, you know, come through at very different times. Uh, Allen's in his second year. LaMarcus probably has, you know, four, four to five more left in, in his, uh, potentially hall of fame career. Um, so, you know, obviously at very different positions, but it's interesting to look at both of them. Now, um, neither of them fits the mold, but they both have just something in their game. That's a winner's mentality. Um, you know, like I said, I, I was so excited to see LaMarcus who's really been coming on. He's a, he's a, uh, should be an all-star. He probably won't get it, but uh, should be an all-star just the way he's been playing, especially the past month has, has really propelled the Spurs. But then you look at Jared Allen, who on a team that, you know, is just scraping to find an identity. You have a player who, ahead of schedule kind of he was one of the earliest in last year's class to earn a starting spot about halfway through the year you saw the lebron block that we you know made national news he's had a couple espn top 10 big dunks but he's quietly in his sophomore season kind of one of the the top young bigs uh in the nba um right now i think he's averaging 11 and a half points a night um which is you know great i think better than you probably expected in his second year averaging about two blocks um almost two or he's averaging two assists um basically he's putting up stats just a little under deandre ayton who's you know a a rookie of the year candidate and and kind of one of those franchise uh bigs that you know they joel Embiid type that you build a, a franchise around so the fact that jared allen has um getting close to his ceiling uh, is really interesting to me. And I think it's just fun that, you know, these guys, they're one and done. It's hard to sometimes form that connection with them, but it gives you a rooting interest. There's no reason that we should be watching Brooklyn Nets games, but uh, Jared Allen gives us one. So Texas basketball, we'll, you know, we'll see exactly how the season plays out for the team currently on the 40 acres, but there's also hope no matter how that goes uh, from the guys who are in the alumni who, who fill out the, the NBA ranks. You know, and we talked about it a few weeks ago how Jared Allen became what one of five guys to block a LeBron dunk. So it's just it's it's good to see some good news uh, from the the Texas basketball guys and the pros that aren't Kevin Durant. You know, depending on how you feel about him. Uh, so my bang the drum this week, brought to you by Joe Ruiz, is a guy in the 2019 recruiting class who didn't get a ton of shine and that's uh defensive end Myron Warren. He was one of those guys that when Texas offered him, you know, there were, there was a lot of scuttlebutt that he wouldn't necessarily end up, um, you know, being, being that big time signee, you know, he's, he's a three-star guy. And then this video surfaced of him on uh, Twitter of him dunking, which it's not that, you know, he's an athlete. So it's expected, but then you think, He's 6'3", 240, and he's dunking. And so now I'm starting to think, does the Texas staff know something about Myron Warren that the rest of us are missing? Because that's kind of ridiculous athleticism. Um, And it wasn't just like a big man, like I jump and just set it over the rim, like pulled knees up and everything. So it was just, if you haven't seen it, I'll link it in the show notes. But the fact that Texas is... One of the newest members of their class is out there just yamming on fools as a defensive end. The athleticism that we should be prepared to see from Myron Warren is super impressive. And I just love to see anytime big men get to do athletic stuff as a big man myself, you know, when you, when you shock people with your athleticism, it's always a, it's always a good feeling when people are like, Oh, 
I don't know, you could do that, and then you kind of just swag down the court uh, and feel good about yourself. Uh, are you are you familiar with the Peisman Trophy, Gerald? I yes, I love the the Peisman. For for the listeners who aren't, the the Peisman is 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 a started as a kind of sarcastic, has now turned into an actual, very much veritable thing that players get trophies and get excited by. Um, but it goes to to big men who do the most athletic thing, whether it's scoring touchdowns or otherwise. Uh, maybe Myron Warren is a secret uh, is a dark horse future Peisman Trophy winner at the University of Texas. So I'm all for that. I love big guys doing athletic things, too. Yeah, uh, 2023 Peisman, do we want to start putting odds on it right now? Uh, let's at least get the t-shirts made up. I think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down for it. But that's all we've got for you this week. Uh, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Kyle Carpenter. You can find uh, the Texas Pregamer. We'll be a little quieter in the offseason here catching our breath but at texas pregamer you can follow me on twitter i am at gh goodrich follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod if you want to get your tweets read out on the show shoot us an email or shoot us a tweet using the hashtag replies of texas we've heard you we're going to do a mac brown retrospective or not a mac brown rick barnes retrospective when we don't have as much content going into the podcast and we're also in a few weeks going to bring you a little bit of a treat from the 40 acres themselves we've got a couple of guests lined up to uh to give you an insight if you're old like kyle and i and haven't been on the campus what the current temperature is like among student texas fans thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend until next time hook them hook them